CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. Again, that's 1 888 Ask CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer here on the last week of the year. Looking forward to being with you for about the next hour as we take this time aside every weekday afternoon to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, look at current events through a biblical perspective and what we hear in church. Is it even in the Bible at all? So if you've been reading your Bible, come across something you don't understand, call us. Hey, that's why we're here. That number to call again, 88 88 ask csn it's toll free and we've got some lines open so you're sure to get on if you call right now you know a lot of people are wondering what in the world is going on we see america just absolutely headed into the abyss faster than anything we have ever dreamed possible we go halfway around the world to fight communism but we won't fight it in our own congress things that make you go hmm Joining me today, special guest, featured CSN speaker, comes on after To Every Man and Answer. We have with us today Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Hi and welcome. Hello, Mike. Good to be with you and uh, Merry Christmas to you. And and may you have a blessed new year, 2024, brand new year. And uh, boy, we sure need God to move in 2024 because like you said, it's really, you know, I got to tell you, Mike. I think I was sharing with you before the show, but this whole gender confusion thing that's come across America and most of the West, for sure, um, you know, what gender are you? There's a hundred possible genders, cisgender, bigender, this gender, that gender, uh, but there's a new one and I wanted to fill you in on it. It's called uh, abrosexual. Abro, like... Abrocadabro. Abro, A-B-R-O. And um, yeah, I saw that today. So now we've got a new name. And uh, that it just simply means, if you're wondering what it could possibly mean, it's an individual whose sexuality is changing or fluid. So abrosexual now means that one time in your life, you might be heterosexual, another season homosexual, another season no gender at all, another season cisgender, and on and on the list goes. So right when you think... You've heard it all. Now we've got a new one that has come up and added more, just really um, major confusion to the mix. And so if you're a little kid, think about it. You know, if you're a little guy, little girl growing up in this culture, going through the schools and all, all of, you know, the woke school system, and you hear all these, all this confusion about gender, and you're actually asked by teachers and other adult figures, at five years old, six years old, seven years old, how, what gender do you think you are? Now there's another word, abrosexual, to add to your confusion. So, Mike, you know, I, I, I can't escape the verse in Romans 1, and I'll toss it back to you. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do those things that are unseemly or unnatural, meaning you've got a mind now that can't, Think straight. Literally, that's what reprobate means from the Greek word. And uh, it means a mind that can't think straight anymore, uh, uh, can't tell right from wrong anymore. 
can't discern things anymore. And boy, if that's not where we are as a country, then I don't know where we are. Well, I, we're, 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 this is why I believe everyone in this next year, however long God gives us, we must work for the night is coming. The darkness is coming. It's already here. It varies where you're at. But again, there's only two sexes, male and female, period. And you know what I have on my side to prove that? Science. All that that's left out when it's only convenient for them to use. No, science says there's only two. There's the uh, chromosome proof that there's just male and female. It doesn't matter what you do to your body. Your chromosomes are still going to say whether you're a male or you're a female. That's the way God designed it. Now we can Male and female yeah, created he them. And, and you can psychedelicize it. You can try to go to all your shrinks, everybody you want out there, your politicians. But there's only two, and it's very clear, whether in the animal world or in the human world, there's only two. And this is one of the sad things when you see America sliding this way. But this is where the Bible says, those that are not born again walk in darkness. And how great is that darkness? When you realize things that are so obvious are blind, these people are blind concerning everything that's going on. Do you do you really think you can let your country be overran by literally tens of million illegal people and have it not affect your daily life? See, this is the silliness of what we're, we're about. If everybody, I really strongly invite you, I think it's available most anywhere now, 2,000 mules. You need to watch and see what was really going on at the last election. I watched part of it, and I was amazed where these couriers would pull up to a, a a ballot drop box, not dropping one ballot in, but dropping a sack full of them in all over your country. No, the last election, friends, was fraud. I know the American news media says, oh, it was honest. But the, the American news media is professional liars. That's what they are. And so you have to understand that this darkness, they're a major, major player in it. And so you have to understand what we're up against. So what's the solution? Work for the night is coming when no one can work. Do what your father wants you to do. Share the gospel. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. I believe this is so important. And most of all, promote the things that promote Christ. Boy, I'll tell you right now, the last thing I would want to do would be trying to stop somebody from doing God's will. And yet I know people that call themselves Christians that uh, do these kinds of things. And all I can say is, when the rapture comes, they ain't going. You know, the Bible says, watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. And if people are involved in trying to destroy the kingdom of God while calling themselves Christians, well, they're not going. And uh, they're going to get a world that's very much like their world, a world full of liars and hypocrites. But you know, the Bible says he's going to come and take us home, those who long and earnestly await his return. Friends, I pray that's you today. You know, I don't know how many more days we've got here, weeks, maybe years. But I'll tell you, I do see something horrible happening to the United States. Just as Nikita Khrushchev said, back in the late 50s, we will bury you. 
and never fire a shot. And that's exactly what's happening. Our freedoms are vanishing by the minute. Our religious freedoms are vanishing by the minute. Our freedom of speech is vanishing by the minute. Your Bill of Rights is vanishing by the minute. And so you need to be aware. Do what you can do today because you may not have the opportunity to do it tomorrow. 8888. Ask CSN sends a number to call if you want to be part of the program today. And let's go ahead and go to the phones. We have Sherry on the line in Corinth, Mississippi. Hi and welcome. Hi. How may we um, help? I, I, I was wondering about the millennium, mm-hmm. um, where, where there will be survivors that go into the millennium. Will it be those only who have fled into the mountains or Petra? Or will it be uh, just people all over the world that God has supernaturally protected? Sherry, that's a great question. And I do believe, yes, you're right. And that's a great observation. I do believe those that run to the the Jewish people, that run to uh, uh, the place prepared by God in the wilderness, most people believe that it is Petra. Uh, yes, that. And I believe there's pockets around the world where... Um, they were able to escape the mark of the beast. Um, your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, and I also think there was a, a more immediate fulfillment of that because in uh, Luke's gospel, uh, you know, Jesus gave his greatest prophetic discourse on the future in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. And uh, it was an answer to two questions. When will these things be? Talking about the destruction of the temple and what will be the sign of your return? Well, Jesus answered both those questions simultaneously and sort of back and forth throughout his uh, discourse, his prophetic discourse. And in Luke, he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out of Jerusalem. Get out. Because it'll save your life if you get out. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he was saying. So we know from uh, historians like Josephus, that when uh, this happened, and of course it happened just a little over three decades after Jesus predicted the armies surrounding Jerusalem, of course it was the Roman army under Titus, Um, we know Josephus records that thousands of Christians, those who knew what Jesus had warned, fled, and they fled to the mountains. And when the Romans uh, finally broke through and invaded Jerusalem, there was no getting out. You were stuck. And up to a million Jews were slaughtered. But if you had listened to the words of Jesus, then you would have fled the city as soon as you saw it surrounded by armies. Now, I think that was the immediate fulfillment. It may very well be a double-pronged prophecy, but uh, it is an example of the same kind of thing. You know, Jesus protected his own from wrath, because when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, the Bible is very clear that this was the wrath of God being poured out on them, uh, if if for nothing else, the, the uh, murder of his son. But it was also for the shed blood of all the prophets and whatnot throughout uh, the centuries. So it was Jerusalem's time to answer for all that they had done uh, that had brought God to the place of judgment. So I, I think there was that immediate fulfillment And uh, then uh, it also lets us know, uh, as we see throughout the Bible, that when wrath is being poured out, God delivers his people from it. Because this was 
wrath. This was thumos, wrath. And God told his people, get out, and they were delivered. Uh, you know, Lot and his family were delivered before the fire fell. Noah and his family were delivered before the flood hit the world. So over and over again, we see the pattern of the Lord delivering his own before wrath falls. And so we expect that again, before the wrath of the great tribulation, God will deliver his own through the catching up of the church. Mike? Yeah, and, and you know, again, those going into the millennial reign of Christ for that thousand years, where the Bible says we as Christians will be in a glorified body, we will rule and reign with him for that thousand years in a perfect world, perfect environment, perfect government, perfect food, perfect everything. And that's when Satan is loose at the end of the thousand year reign, only to prove everything that God has ever said about mankind, as hard as desperately wicked above all things who can know it. You must be born again. And people that say, well, it's just the bad environment that make people bad. That is not what the Bible teaches. And that thousand year reign of Christ proves that. They have all been in a perfect world for almost a thousand years. Satan is loose, gives them a choice to choose. And the Bible says the sand is on the seashore. They come against Jesus there in Jerusalem. And with a word, they're destroyed. Now, again, who are these people that go into the millennial reign? I do believe it's those <clears throat> that the Bible says God has prepared a place for in the wilderness. I also believe it is those different pockets of the world where perhaps the the full arm of the Antichrist control has not completely reached. Um, the Bible clearly says, if you take the mark, you will not go into heaven. Uh, so uh, I don't care who, uh, uh, what Christian minister says, oh, oh no, you can take the mark and be forgiven. That is not what the Bible says. It's explicitly clear. And anybody that tries to change what the book of Revelation says, better read Revelation 22 to find out if you take away from the Word of God, from the book of Revelation, God will take your name out of the book of life. And I think there's even some evangelical Christian men that need to look at that, because that is what the Bible says. Now, then who are they that go in? Those that have not taken the mark of the beast. I believe the those that were um, protected there in this place that God's prepared for them. And so... Uh, we don't know how many people are really going to go into the millennial reign. We know there's going to be a large amount that are going to be um, put to Sheol uh, into, into that great place waiting the great white throne judgment. So I hope that answers it for you, Sherry. It does. I thank you so much. Stay online. Send you out some books, some DVDs, a little book called 101 Last Days Prophecies. I think you'll really enjoy that. And Happy New Year to you. Let's go to Alex, Minnesota. Hi, welcome. Hello, Alex. Hello. Are you there? Hi. Hey, I'm there. Sorry. Um, yeah, my uh, my question today is, you know, I have a lot of friends and family who are non-believers, and I myself am a believer, and I'm just wondering what the best way to speak to them about um, God is and hopefully say something that can change their heart. Oh, I think that's a great question, and I think it's so important for all of us. Now, one of the best ways that I know, Paul said, I become all things to all men that I may win some. Now, that didn't mean, again, that he became a drug dealer to minister to drug dealers. But it did mean that he put himself in their shoes to know, how would I want somebody 
to talk to me about the Lord if I didn't know God. And so I think really for all of us, as we're gathered around our our uh, New Year's Eve festivities and all these things, how would you want somebody to talk to you if you didn't know the Lord? Um, and I think that's one of the great ways to did it. One of the things Paul always did was he was a bridge builder. When he went to Mars Hill, he saw all these statues to all their different gods. And this one that said to the unknown God, he said to the people that were there, I see you are all very religious people. He said, you have all these statues. You have this one to the unknown God. This is the one I want to speak to you about. And he began to reason with them from scripture. So I think a lot of times, Alex, if we're a really good listener, sometimes as well, I think they'll tell us. They'll sit there and they'll say, well, you know, Happy New Year. Well, I hope so, man. I sure don't know what's going to go on. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because, you know, it's funny. The Bible actually says a lot about the days that we're living in. And you can just begin to just gently bring the Scripture into them. Bring the Word of God. Because remember, the Word of God is what convicts a person's heart of sin. And unless you understand you're a sinner, you have no need of Christ. So it's the conviction of God that causes us to reach out to Christ. Again, how many lies do you got to tell to be a liar? Just one. How how many things do you got to steal to be a thief? Just one. How many murders you got to commit to be a murderer? Just one. And I think sometimes by using logic, listening to who you're trying to witness to carefully, seeing what their fears and alarms and concerns are, you're able then to, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, bring the gospel into their life. Because again, I believe the Holy Spirit's already working on people everywhere in the world. All we have to do is give them that opportunity and that invitation to receive Christ. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's relative to the person. Uh, There's several different kinds of people that are, uh, I'm going to carefully say, in in family gatherings of mine, uh, some that would be open if I began to talk about the Lord, others that would immediately react if I talked about the Lord. There's different reactions. So, you know, it's a matter of the person. I look at the person uh, I'm in front of. I go, okay, uh, what I know about them, are they open to me at least mentioning uh, Jesus, you know, just talking about Jesus? Or am I going to get a reaction? Now, for the ones that are open, uh, I don't talk uh, at them. I talk to them. Yes. I, I open some kind of a you know common topic, you know, how's work? Yeah, work is good. How well how's it with you? Oh, it's great, you know. And then I will bring in the church or something that we've been doing. Um, you know, so, some of the things that God has been doing is they oh, the work church is doing really well. And you know, then you can just toss it in. The Lord Jesus has been good, he's answered a lot of prayer. And before you know it, the door is open and they're they're listening. But with the others, I know that I can't bring it up. I, I mean, I'm certain. How do I know? Because I've tried it <laughs> and, and I got a hostile reaction. So then you have to go to the words of Jesus in Sermon on the Mount, where he talked about the power of good works to testify. He said, let your light so shine before men. This is Matthew 5, uh, 16. Let your light so shine before men. How? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
So how do we let our light shine? How do we testify? Well, with some people, it's just they let they you you let them know what you're doing, or you you somehow inform them. Like the people that I know I'm going to get a hostile reaction to, I will not get a hostile reaction if I tell them, well, we we were able to feed some homeless people. Well, that rings a bell. Oh, that's great. Oh, good. That's wonderful. I can say that and get away with it without mentioning, you know, the J word, J-E-S-U-S. I can say we, we fed the homeless or we, we helped uh, somebody renovate their house, uh, somebody that didn't have any money. We real rebuilt their bathroom or uh, put in a floor for them, which we do sometimes in a little ministry we have called tent menders. And uh, we'll send tent menders to houses to uh, usually uh, senior citizens who have no money and, you know, they need a plumbing, uh, they need plumbing fix or electricity, some electrical job. So we'll go and do it. Well, I can say that to this person and not get a negative because they equate Christianity with that. That to them is acceptable Christianity. But just to start talking about Jesus in, in any way that they deem to be preachy, they're gone. So I'll let my light shine through good works. It depends on the person. And I'll, this one last thing, Mike, you know, by God's grace and by his goodness, we haven't had a Sunday in quite some time where people haven't been saved. And I've noticed it's so necessary to bring up the cross. The cross, uh, there is a power when you start talking about the cross. Even people who might be immediately hostile to anything they deem being preachy, when you can somehow bring up the cross that Jesus bled and died on that cross, I, again, with the congregation, I talk to them, not at them. There's a difference. I, I'm, I'm conversational with them. And I'll just talk about how Jesus bled and died on that cross. Just mention it. Just say it. And there's something about that cross. When you bring it up, it has a power. It has an arresting power to it. Uh, Spurgeon used to say, the great uh, 19th century London preacher, Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes in the faith, he used to say, no matter my topic, no matter what I'm preaching on, as soon as I bring up the topic and start to expound on the topic, I make a beeline for the cross. Well, there's something to that because there's power in that cross. So, uh, Alex, depending on the person, I choose my weaponry. But either good works or, like Mike said, building that uh, conversational bridge and you bring up Jesus that way, or just somehow look for the opportunity to say, you know, man, I just believe that Jesus bled and died on the cross for me. There's something about that. It, it's a, it's a, people have a hard time really reacting with hostility when you say he bled and died on the cross. So anyway, just some thoughts there to help you, Alex. Yeah, because it, it's, I, I think, again, uh, Jesus, if you look at, and, and he was the absolute best of everything. But, um, uh, you know, just, just Jesus goes into town and he sets down by a well and this woman is there. He says, can, can I have a drink of water? Yeah. And she says, well, the well is deep and you don't have anything to draw from. See, what he, he, he just met her where she was at. And I think that's what we need more than anything is just people that listen again to what their people are saying. 
Uh, and, and I've had people hostile towards me. I've shared this many times, but a guy one time says, you mean to tell me you believe everything, you base your life on everything the Bible says? And I said, well, by the nature of your question, you base your life on something. What do you base your life on? And they didn't have any answer. And so I I really believe that a lot of times when we listen, I think God will say, pick up on this part or this part or, or ask him more about this. Because I believe when it comes to witnessing, it must be spirit led. Uh, It must be after the heart of God, because again, uh, the Bible says that God is the searcher of hearts and revealer of secrets. And there's things in their heart they need answers for. And I believe sometimes in just listening, they'll give you the clues of what it is that they're troubled about. It may be a health issue. It may be a family member problem. It may be just life in general and loss of their direction. There's a lot of things. Uh, And so I think just being a really good listener, always, always, is probably the best way to witness to people, meet them where their need is. And again, you, you bring Jesus into that situation. Alex, I hope that helps. Yes, that is, that is all very, very useful information. And um, I did want to say, I have a, a friend who I have been talking to about, you know, about the Lord and everything. And um, <clears throat> I did exactly what you said, where I, I listened to their story. I listened to what they're going through. And it, it is sometimes difficult for me to find the words to um, to say or, or what to say in their situation for the struggles that they're going through in life. But I, I'm trying my best here. You know, Alex, it's funny because Paul says in the Bible, he says, sometimes we pray in groanings. And I have actually listened to people's story. And when I'm done, when they're done, I just go, oh, I mean, I, it's, I mean, you know, the devil's handiwork just destroys people's lives. And you look at this and you go, man, oh, man, you know, um, and, and, and sometimes I've just looked at a person and I said, let me ask you a question. You, you just told me all the things going on in your life. I said, do you want another 10 years like you just had? And they just get a terrified look in their eye. No. And I said, only Jesus can fix it. Do you want to pray right now? And I've actually had him say yes that fast. You know, do you want do you want more of what you've been getting? Or do you want to change roads? Do you want to repent? And really, that's what it is. I think the average person knows they need to repent. You can talk to an alcoholic. They want to stop drinking. They're just hooked up and they can't. But God can deliver them. And I think, Alex, that's the real important part. Be a good listener. Bless them. And uh, be there for them. Stay online if you like, sending out some books, some DVDs that you can use for your friends. We're coming up on a break, and we'll have more right after this. It all came down to the ultrasound, and I saw this little lima bean-looking thing with a halo. When this mom came to a preborn center, a baby wasn't really in her plans. I got to hear the heartbeat, and I got chills. In that moment, I just felt God's arms come around me and hug me and tell me that it was going to be okay. After hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her baby on ultrasound, this mom's plans changed. My choice to become a mom, hear those little footsteps running down the hallway every morning, is all because I had an ultrasound. 
ultrasound, it saved my life and hers. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound, she is 80% more likely to choose life. Preborn's network of clinics are the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and have rescued over 270,000 babies. To learn how you can rescue a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. All gifts are tax deductible. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For many families, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the member satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. MediShare is a proven thing, too, for over 30 years. It's a Christian community of more than 400,000 members. And here's the thing. If you join before December 30th and you mention the promo code SHARE, you'll get another 10% off all of 2024. That's 12 months of savings. So I'll give you the number here in a second, but call. You'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline is December 30th. So call now. You'll save even more. Here's the number. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Welcome you back to part two of Every Man Answer here on this Wednesday afternoon, last week of the year. And we just want to say Happy New Year to all of you. Looking forward to uh, being with you as much as we can in this new coming year and uh, being about our Father's business. You know, I do believe we're running out of time. I do believe we do. Absolutely. Um, as Jesus said, you know, he, he rebuked him. He said, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky. How is it that you can't discern the coming of the Son of Man? And I, I really believe that, uh, friends, uh, the conditions that Jesus gave us uh, for his return, friends, are, are, are all there. You know, it, it is interesting. Jesus said, as in the days of Noah were, social the coming of the Son of Man be. I saw some person do um, uh, some kind of uh, expository teaching on that on one of the YouTube channels, whatever it was. Man, I have never heard anybody go to the moon like this guy did. It says, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The days of Noah were party time. Things were good. Not a care in the world. Again, no one could understand why Noah was even building a boat. But there was a pending judgment that was going to face those that didn't get on the ark. And I believe just as in the days of Noah, we have party time right now, but there's an impending global judgment called the tribulation period getting ready to start. And I believe, as the Bible says, when you begin to see these things, look up, your redemption draws nigh. The second coming of Christ, the Bible says, every eye will see him. He comes back to literally a decimated world. Every living thing in the sea is die. All the trees are burned up. Two-thirds, almost two-thirds of the world's population has died. Um, hardly anything you could say but eat, drink, and be merry. No, it's mere survival. 
But I believe when Jesus is talking about that in Matthew 24, as in the days of Noah were, I believe he's talking about the rapture of the church. And I believe that again, as Paul fortifies it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we find in Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe that we're all awaiting the great departure. And so I pray that you're all ready when the Lord comes. I'm here with uh, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas, and we're going to go right back to the phones. And we have Todd on the line, Grants Pass, Oregon. Hi, and welcome. Hello. Hi. The question that I have is I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, I told him after the tribulations in the thousand-year reign that God was going to renew the earth. And he says, it doesn't say that in the Bible. He's right. Because after the thousand-year reign of Christ is over, the Bible says this earth melts with a fervent heat, the heavens burn up, and out of all of this comes the new Jerusalem, a brand new deal for all of us. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, during the uh, millennium, the only thing that happens is, and it's a major event, but Satan is bound. So you've got the tempter, the, the accuser of the brethren, the troublemaker behind all trouble, the devil is bound for a thousand years. So uh, it'll be an earth without a devil roaming to and fro, uh, causing trouble everywhere that he goes and chaos and heartbreak and everything else. And then after the millennium, as Mike said, I can read it. Second Peter uh, 3, 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This is after the millennium. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in it will be burned up. All these things are going to be dissolved. And he says, we are looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, where the heavens being on fire will be dissolved, and the elements of the earth uh, will melt with fervent heat. And then Peter says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for brand new heavens and a brand new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And then in Revelations 21, verse 1, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So your friend was right regarding the millennium. Uh, he won't be rebuilding, but he redoes everything after the millennium. So we're in some uh, exciting times, I believe, again, and I hope that answers it for you. Well... When, how are we going to live on Earth if everything in the ocean is dead and most of the grass and most of the trees are dead? Well, that's exactly right. And that's during the seven-year tribulation period. And then Jesus comes back to this Earth as decimated as it is. He stops the Battle of Armageddon. And the Bible says that he restores the Earth uh, and makes it back like it was in the Garden of Eden. A brand new, a brand new Earth uh, maybe I should say restored earth, uh, for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, this is when this earth, the heavens we know, go away, and the new heaven, uh, the the new uh, place where we were all we will all dwell, comes down out of heaven. The Bible says and gives its dimensions. Uh, everything is there in Revelation as well. But uh, during the millennial reign of Christ, the earth is restored. People live to be a thousand years old again. Uh, uh, you won't have the problems that we have, uh, famine or any of those kinds of things. 
um, by the end of the tribulation period, some somewhere north of uh, seven years from today, um, the world's going to be, well, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 24, unless those days were shortened, there'd be no flesh saved. That's how bad it's going to be. So the idea of, of we're on the, on the cusp of a new world order, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, all a pipe dream, ain't happening, man. It's going to get bad, real bad. And when the Antichrist gets in control of this world, it's going to get bad real fast. Any last thoughts? Yeah, Isaiah predicts in chapter 11, for instance, during uh, the millennial period, he describes it this way. Righteousness will be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play on the hole of the poisonous snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand uh, on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For Now here's a great description. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So those verses alone uh, suggest a, uh, a, a, an agricultural world. You have the lion uh, eating straw like the ox. Uh, so you've got farming happening. You have agriculture being grown. You have a peaceful world. You have a productive world. Just those verses alone, and there's many, many more in the Bible uh, describing the millennial time period, but those verses alone give us a hint that, uh, again, agriculture will be alive and well, and it will be a time of incredible peace where the Lord Jesus is ruling the planet from Jerusalem. Um, and so it'll be an incredible time of, of great peace, but it won't be anything like the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem that will be descending out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband uh, after all of this and after the great white throne judgment. And uh, when that new Jerusalem comes down uh, onto a totally new earth, that's going to be uh, indescribably beautiful, glorious, fantastic, indescribable. So, Hope that helps, Todd. Yes. Um, I, you guys answered the question. It, I'm not talking about, I know there's going to be a new heaven and earth. I understand that. I'm talking about after tribulations. You said that he's going to renew the earth like the Garden of Eden, right? Yes. Okay, that's what I want to know, because he doesn't think that that's going to be. But I know it's going to be. Oh, well, Jesus is not going to come back to a world uh, with, uh, you know, a dead ocean and, and everything yeah, he won't like leave that. it that way. He's not going to leave it that way. That's all part of the, the great restoration that God does. In fact, the Bible says, behold, I make all things new. That's what he's going to do. Um, concerning... and the verses I read, Todd, out of Isaiah, those were about the millennium, not after the millennium. Those verses about the, the lion eating straw like the ox, those verses I read were regarding the millennial thousand year period not after so i i hope that helps yes it does thank you very much i will talk to him about it again because he asked me what bible are you reading (laughs) 
<laughs> well, uh, again, uh, you you read that uh, when you when you look, you know, Revelation gives us a pretty good de- a description of what the world's going to be like, the restored world. Uh, and you look at um, um, Revelation chapter twenty as an example. Uh, it talks about Jesus coming back. Um, uh, he, he's devil's cast into the, uh, into the pit for a thousand years. Chapter 21, and this is, uh, um, where he makes, uh, again, um, the new heaven and the new earth makes all things new. When we look at all of this, we realize that Jesus, uh, restores this earth. And of course he's the one that made it. So he's certainly very capable of restoring it. Hope that helps. Thank you very much. I love your show. Well, God bless you. Todd, we're here for you. Just call us, and we'll we'll uh, get right to you, okay? Stay on line. We'll get out to you some books and DVDs. I think you'll enjoy those, and Happy New Year to you. Let's go to Daryl, Missouri. Hi, welcome. Hello, pastors. Um, God bless you for your ministry. I uh, appreciate your help on a situation. I have a son that's struggling in his faith, and... Uh, personality is an individual that's very caring, uh, fair-minded. I think one of the particular things I'd like your help on is uh, referencing the Old Testament, where uh, God directs the Israelites as they take the land of Canaan back to go in and destroy all the Canaanites from man, woman, and children. And I think it's a struggling thing that he has and trying to get his hands and arms around that particular issue as far as where God stands on that. Well, sometimes, you know, the Bible will say destroy everything for a cleansing for the land. Now, we do know, we do know, because of some practices in certain cultures, uh, not only are the people uh, contaminated, uh, again, having sex with animals, things like this, bestiality, um, the the uh, the animals were um, were diseased as well. And in fact, the whole culture is that way. And when you understand, um, uh, especially in certain circumstances where you, you th- as an example, where God told Saul to go in and utterly annihilate the Amalekites, uh, and uh, Saul told him to do that, Saul comes back and says, well, I I did as you said, Samuel. And Samuel said, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ear and the lowing of cattle? What is that? Well, we kept the best for a sacrifice. And I I even kept King Agag alive as well. And he said, God's rejected you from being king. And what is interesting is at the end of Saul's life, it appears that an Amalekite is what killed him. So either you deal with the enemies that God says to deal with, or they'll deal with you. Now, right now, as an example, in Hamas and these other groups that are there in the Middle East, they watch cartoons on killing Jews from the time they're two years old. All there are the cartoons, I've, I've watched them. They, they actually have some they smuggled out. And you see them, how important it is to, to um, be a... Uh, um, uh, you know, a, a terrorist that will die for, you know, strap bombs on your, on yourself and detonate it on a bus or whatever. This is, this is ingrained in them. And we forget that 
the way children are trained, this continues in their life. This is why I believe the Bible, even for us today in our own our, our own uh, culture, don't marry a non-believer because they have a different set of ethics, a different set of code that they live by, and they're not mixable with real Christianity. A true Christian is living for Christ. A person not born again lives for themselves. And depending on what programmed them, a drunk uncle, uh, you know, an, uh, you know, somebody like that, you don't know. And so the the culture was first of all contaminated. Second of all, the diseases because of the practice of these people was contaminated as well. And so uh, it was really, I think, out of God's. Uh, mercy for the rest of the world that the pagan practices of many of these cultures and nations was utterly wiped out for the preservation of the rest of the world. As we know, you, you've got these different diseases today we can't cure. Um, they can cause it to abate some, but but it doesn't get rid of it. Look at AIDS. Look at look at the the. Uh, uh, the different venereal diseases that are around. Uh, this was a problem then, and it's unfortunately even a problem now. So I really believe that uh, when God says something, it's never to be mean. It's for a reason. And just because we don't know what all the reasons are, we can't fault God in that. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, and it's important to remember, uh, Daryl, that uh, if you go all the way back to Abraham, uh, God gave Abraham a very disturbing dream. Uh, and in the dream, God told him that his descendants were going to be 400 years in slavery. And of course, this was the children of Israel in Egypt. And then God said to him, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So, paraphrased or translated, God was saying, I'm going to give the Amorites, who were the Canaanites, I'm going to give them 400 years, four centuries to repent. They had four centuries to get right with God. We know that it could have happened because it happened to Nineveh. Nineveh was a pagan culture. Um, they were uh, Gentile, and uh, Jonah went through there and preached the shortest sermon of repentance on record and had the greatest revival in the history of the world. Every single Ninevite uh, repented. And Nineveh, for 150 years, dodged judgment. Of course, it did come after 150 years, but nevertheless, God uh, spared judgment because they repented. So we know that it could have happened. They could have repented. We don't know what steps God took to approach them with repentance, but God being a good God, a just God, a fair God, surely gave them some kind of opportunity to repent. But after 400 years of depravity, decline, uh, doing all manner of wickedness, the pagan practices of the Canaanite nations, uh, are, they're hard to even speak out loud. They were so bad. The sacrifice of children uh, by torture, burning them alive, um, you know, the sexual perversions that were rampant. Uh, all kinds of things. So they finally, uh, as God said, the iniquity of the Amorites reached its full. And God said, okay, there's no turning back. I'm going to send judgment. Now, it's also important to recognize that God 
didn't send the Israelites in uh, to kill. He sent them in to drive them out. He wanted them out. And if they fought, if they resisted the the Israelites, they were taken out. They were they were uh, exterminated. If they fled, they were allowed to flee. So you have to take into account the entire history that had gone down here. Is God a mean God? No. God gave them 400 years to repent, and they never took it. And so finally God sent judgment. Now, uh, one final thought. When we read about Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that God sent fire out of heaven and vaporized the whole twin cities, vaporized them gone. They were there and then they weren't. Ashes remain. We don't have the reaction to that like we do to Israel going in and exterminating a people that had refused to repent as God's arm of judgment. Why is that? I don't, I don't, I don't know why really, uh, because it was God's judgment either by human hand uh, or by direct judgment, Noah's flood. God sent that flood, and everybody on the planet drowned except eight people. We read that, and we go, well, that's terrible. You know, God judged them. But we don't have the visceral reaction to it that we do to Israel going in. And I think it's because God used human instruments. But it's the same kind of judgment. With Noah's day, they refused to repent after 120 years of Noah preaching. In in um, Lot's day, they refused to, to repent. Abraham had been amongst them. This The most righteous man on earth had been amongst them, and they did not turn to God. And now with the Canaanites, 400 years of mercy, and they didn't take advantage of it. So when you consider all these things, uh, it, it's not as bad as we think, because God really extended the hand of grace to them for a really long time, and they didn't take it. So I hope that helps. Absolutely, pastors. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you. Stay online if you like, and uh, send you out some books, some DVDs. Happy New Year to you. Let's go to Christopher, Springfield, Oregon. Hi, and welcome. Love your show. I uh, had a question. To, basically, it was about the thief on the cross where Jesus told him, Verily, verily, you will be with me in paradise. And I'm wondering what he meant by paradise, and where did the thousand-year reign of Christ come into into that, 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 that whole scenario? Well, the thousand-year reign of Christ is um, not here yet. It will be after the tribulation period. As far as the thief on the cross, he said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, there is discussion whether uh, Jesus allowed him to go into this place called Abraham's bosom, or uh, some wonder that, that he didn't directly go to heaven. It appears to me that he went into Abraham's bosom, um, and probably the last person that ever went into that place was this thief on the cross, hearing the message completely of the supreme sacrifice that made for all those who died in faith. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's paradiso in the Greek, and it's a, it's a word uh, of Persian origin. It means a garden. 
a garden of pleasure, a, a place filled with trees and shrubs, fountains, flowers. In other words, it's a beautiful, glorious, blissful place. And that's what Jesus was referring to. He was telling this thief, you know, we're both leaving this planet today, you know, on this cross, on these two crosses. And, and then when we do, since you place your faith in me, I'm going to see to it that you, uh, your soul goes to paradise, goes to the place of bliss and, uh, with, with me. So what his message really tells us is that as soon as your body dies, that's not it. That's not the end. But your soul immediately goes somewhere. Now we know that the soul, uh, apart from Christ, goes into Hades, Hades in, in the Greek language. The, the place of is sort of the waiting room for the great white throne judgment before the lake of fire receives those that are going to be uh, damned for eternity. So. You're either going to go to Hades or you're going to go to uh, the heaven or Paradiso, the place of bliss. And uh, so it lets us know that when you die, your soul goes somewhere and it's, it's totally alert. You're, you're aware of, of uh, feelings. You're, you have memories. You, um, you have uh, sensations. Uh, you're able to conceptualize where you are. All of these things Jesus taught us in his parable of the, the rich man that went to Hades. So it was good news for those who have faith in Christ. And this man placed his faith in Christ before he died, and therefore Jesus took him to the place of bliss. And so I hope that hope that answers it for you. So, well, not 100%. Cause so, so you're saying that that this place paradise, that you're, you're saying that the thief on the cross was the last man to enter into paradise? Yes, let me explain that. Because up to that time, everybody that died, King David, Jeremiah, uh, Elisha, as an example, they loved God, they died in faith. But the the problem is the blood of bulls and goats could only cover the sin. It never removed the sin. And so they went to a place called Abraham's bosom. Jesus spoke about this. Now, the second thing we find is that the rich man, Jesus spoke about this guy who died and he went to Hades. He was in torment in hell. Now, there's doctrines around today that say, oh, well, when you die, your soul sleep. That is not biblical. Uh, it, and they misread scripture. Yeah, you know, they, they stoned Stephen. The Bible says and Stephen fell asleep. Oh, see, soul sleep. No, it's talking about his body. Very clearly, the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. When Jesus healed Jarius' daughter in, in, in the Gospels, we remember that her spirit returned to her. When Jesus died on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice been made, the sins removed, and the Bible says he led those in that place, he led captivity captive, and took them all to heaven. And so that's why Abraham's bosom is closed down, absent from the now, when you're absent from this body, you're present with the Lord. So hope that helps. Scripture, stay in line. We're out of time, everyone. Call us back to tomorrow. God bless you and good night. Ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226.
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 